Welcome to the Dr. Duds Podcast, where a naturopath and chiropractor come together each week to share lifestyle medicine, health advice, and inspiring interviews with some of the top experts of health and wellness, bringing you the latest in nutrition, exercise, ancient healing, toxins and detox, your microbiome, mindset, hormones, brain, and much more. Stay tuned. We're going to teach you how to experience growth daily. What's up, everybody? We are back for part two of the Dr. Dad's podcast, Diving Deep into All Things Spartan Racing. We've got our, our main man, David Wardy, here, and myself, Dr. Nick, and our special guest again, Dr. Randy Michaud. What's up, everybody? Hey there. What's happening? Awesome to be here. So we, we uh, went into some really awesome stuff in the last podcast and really talked about mindset and courage and doing hard things and all that. And I think it really sets the stage for what we're going to be discussing today because today is really important in that, you know, like we said yesterday or last time, it's not about running a Spartan race. This could be about a marathon. It could be about changing a diet. It's just, it's just about jumping in where you are and starting to create a strategy around how to be an even better version of yourself. And so we're going to highlight uh, what it means to be in the world of Spartan racing and how you prepare for this event. And you can take this. I don't care if you're a yoga enthusiast or if you're, you know, if you're, you're hardcore into CrossFit, it doesn't really matter. This, these are tools that are going to benefit you in so many different areas, and, uh, which is why we want to talk about mindset first. So uh, we're going to jump right in and we're going to paint the picture of what it looks like on Spartan Day race day and then, and then go from there. So uh, how you doing, David? I'm good, brother. That was good, man. I'm already excited. Let's do this. <laughs> So yeah, let's let let's let Randy just get right into it because we have a lot of good stuff today, and I have a feeling we're going to talk for a while. So for all you <laughs> listeners, turn up the volume. This is good stuff today, and this is part two of that two part series. So we're going to hand it to Dr. Randy here and let him just kind of paint the picture. Randy, what's the cool? I mean, we were all there in Seattle with you. We got to experience this with you, and this, that was my first time, and Nick's as well. But talk a little bit about that. You know, pre race. Uh, you know, the feeling you get being at the races, the type of people, and really the venue and the setting that you're in and, and the excitement there. You know, this is, this is like one of the funnest times is, is getting to the race. You have, you have butterflies going through your stomach. You're excited. You've got, there's a lot of anticipation. There's unknown. There's uncertainty. Um, but as you come together, you see that all these people, if you have a group of friends, you know that you're all going to experience this together. You're going to have your own experience. And you're going to have a ton to talk about at the end. But then you have all these other people that are going to be experiencing the same thing. And, and there is just this buzz and electricity, even from being in line, getting your registration, hoping that you have the forms filled out, right? And you're like, I got to get in there quick. Um, then you get in the race venue and you see that there are all these people. And what's interesting is I had a friend that she thought that all everyone there was going to be super fit and buff and to her surprise there were people that looked just like her and there were people that that were really fit there were people that she thought should they even be doing a race i mean are they really healthy to be out here um but one of the funnest things was to see that each one of them that we have our own obstacles to to tackle and so you you do that registration you put on your headband you feel like dude i'm here i've all this work that I've done, I'm ready. And then you get up into the starting gates and you got the guy that's the MC that's getting everyone motivated. And what's cool is, is that during his first speech, he's like, look around, you know, you're all going to run this race today. 
and you're not going to leave anybody behind. And, and that really is something that's so cool that I've experienced on the races. When I've needed help, I've gotten it. I've also been able to give help when seeing people that are struggling. And sometimes it's just a hand on the back when someone is on the side of the course, when their legs are fatigued or maybe cramped or they're super tired. And just that pat on the back of, hey, man, you got this. Or, hey, do you need any help? Can I, you know, can I do anything for you? And sometimes just recognizing that people acknowledge, man, I'm having a hard time. You're like, we really are here for each other. And, and this really is a, a great place to be. And then you get into the obstacles and, you know, you, you get a few right, you pass a few, you miss a few, you have to do burpees, but you're not the only one. And so, and then I, I think that the coolest part is you finish and no matter if you're on number one or 10 or 20, whatever it is, you finish the race and you get that medal put around your neck and you're like, I just did something really hard. You know, I, I, I did something that there was uncertainty and there was fear and there was anxiety and I pushed myself and you're like, dude, I can, I can do a lot more than I thought. So there's this whole buzz and vibe around it. And then at the very end, you get to sit down with complete strangers and you talk about your race and you talk about the stuff that happened and you get to know people. And so it's really this just super cool environment that now it's like you're in the brotherhood of Spartan. Mm. Uh, so that's kind of, yeah. I love that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's great. You know, one thing I wanted to add to that because you painted that picture so well was, you know, you have this broad spectrum of people, like you're saying, some of those people are ex athletes. I mean, you have people probably that were go from, being they were professional athletes to some collegiate, right? Some just yeah. high school. And you have some that are non-athletes. And this is their first hack at really challenging themselves physically out there. And like you're saying, you start, you take off on that race and we're all, you know, sweating and, and, and bleeding and, and dumping ourselves in water and all that stuff throughout this whole race. But yet so everybody is so inspiring as you're watching them struggle. And then everyone's literally there to, to lend a hand, like you're saying. And it's funny that you say is like you're watching them struggle, but then you know there may be a part of the race where you're looking up at them and you're struggling and they're looking at you and helping you out. So that was fun for me, man, because I was an athlete, you know, throughout most of my life, all the way through college. And that whole like excitement before the race when we were out there, it's just a feeling that it was so familiar to me for much of my life. And then as I've gotten in the latter half and I don't do that as much, I miss that. So when I was out there with you all before that race, that, that was huge for me. It was just mm -hmm. feeling that butterflies in my stomach and, ooh, it's about to get started. Here we go, right? right. And, and it's just something that, like, you, you learn to miss that when it's such a big part of your life as, as we get older. Yeah, I love you said that too. And right after the race, you guys, I mean, the three of us probably talked Spartan race up until, like, late in the evening. I don't think, I don't think the conversation changed. It's funny because our wives were with us too, and they kept saying, "You guys are still talking about the race." It's like, get them <laughs> again, right? And I, there were so many different components, so many different feelings, emotions, the energies before and after the race that just it made you so excited. It's like it's like you feel like a kid again. But yeah, I mean, same for me. I, I played competitive basketball, and like I haven't felt that way in like over like decades. It's been a, it's like been almost fifteen twenty years since I played competitive basketball. And, you know, you get that feeling again. You're like, wow, you feel alive. It's, it's really infectious. And 
And it kind of goes back to, I mean, I remember the first time Randy talked to me about Spartan race. I'm like, oh, God, I'd never do that. I'm not competitive anymore. Like, like good for him. You know, it's, it's really, you know, it's not my thing. I, I get, I felt anxious just even thinking about doing a race. And, um, you know, not that that wasn't, you know, taking care of myself. It's just that, you know, being, it's like there was fear around actually being competitive again. But like you said, man, it's not, it's not like you're competing with anybody. You're, you're there just having an experience. And talk, talk to us about like, because obviously you've been doing this for a long time. So talk to us about like, you have celebrities in the Spartan racing world that like, that you got excited about just being, being on the same race as them. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. You know, so you do a bunch of them and you get to, you get to meet some of the athletes and they're the most down to earth people that I've ever met. I, I didn't know what to expect when I went up and wanted to meet them and, these are people that my kids wanted their autographs. Like they don't, my kids don't know any like NFL players or NBA players. My 11 year old knows baseball players, but they knew Spartan race people. <laughs> they knew like the names of Ryan Atkins and Hobie call and, um, Amelia Boone and, and all these other people. And so we went to this race in Palmerton, Florida, Palmerton, uh, Pennsylvania, tough race. And it was like the first time they were exposed to all these people. They brought a flag with him to get autographed, just all this different stuff, right? And you start talking to them, and they want to know about your race. You know, what did you experience? What was it like for you? And it's like, I did not expect that. I, I don't know what I expected, but, but then you see that you're running the same race, right? There's no, there's no difference between what an elite person is running and what you're running. The time is obviously going to be different, mm -hmm. but... You have to do the same stuff. And that's what's so cool about it is that you're all doing the same race and elite to couch potato. Mm -hmm. it's, it, it's, you're doing the same race and you're all equals there. Mm -hmm. Love that. Well, let's, let's start talking about the, the, these new people who are going to you know, maybe feel inspired after listening to this call. Jump right in. So what, what, where does someone start? Where do you start in your training? So the great thing is, is that you can, at any level, you know, you can start new stuff. And let's just go from the person that is going from the couch to, okay, I think I want to do this. Well, you've got to get out and you've got to start walking, right? And this is some of the things that we first talked about. Mm -hmm. Like, David, you, you said initially, I'm not a runner. Mm -hmm. I don't really like running, right? So we had to mix it up for you. And for the person that's a couch potato, okay, get out and start walking. But then find some hills. Or as you're walking, you do a little bit of jogging. You know, five to ten seconds of jogging and then go back to a walk and repeat. And or instead of just, you know, walking if you're running already, get off the road and get onto a trail. Trail running, and you guys experience this. The difference between running on a road and running on a trail is so different. Mm -hmm. David, I remember you saying, Randy, oh my gosh. I can run on a trail. This is cool. Like it, it changes and there's life to it as opposed to this dull road. So I think the first thing is you have to just get outside and start walking, start incorporating some jogging. If you're already jogging, then you're going to incorporate some intervals and do a little bit of sprinting in there. Mm -hmm. And what distances, Randy, like what would you tell them? Like start maybe with, if you're going to start doing these intervals, you know, how many intervals and at what distance would you recommend they stick to and build up over time? You know, it, it's, it's a great question. Um, 
I think to each person, this is going to vary by your skill level or by where you're at. And, and what is important to remember, this goes back to mindset. It doesn't matter how little you think you're doing. You are doing something. And so let's say that you're going to do a mile. Well, maybe for 20 seconds of that mile or every, every 20 seconds, you're going to do a little, or let's say every 30 seconds, you're going to do a sprint for 5 to 10 seconds. And then you're going to go back to jogging. Then you're going to sprint again. Or if you're actually on a track, then what I did in college is I would sprint the, the, uh, the turns and I would walk or jog. Usually it was walking, honestly, the straights. And, and just that, it mixed it up, but you're activating different muscle fibers in your, in your legs and in your whole body. Um, Can you talk about that a little bit, Randy? Because so much of the training for Spartan Race was like building momentum, moving from one exercise to the next, changing pace and all that. Why, why is that so important for, for people? I mean, because there's a physiological change that happens, but, uh, and obviously it helps you adapt to Spartan racing, but can you talk a little bit more about some, some of the science behind why that's so important? Well, yeah, so you have, I mean, we have different muscle, muscle groups in the body. Is this where you want me to go? Yeah. Like yeah, yeah. So we have different muscle groups. Some are going to be better for endurance. You know, your postural muscles are all about endurance. They're keeping you up all day long. Well, those have to be trained too. Right, and so when we don't when we don't address those, our whole chain can weaken, and we can have this whole you know forward head posture syndrome. So we really have to do work on these endurance muscles, these slow twitch fibers, that will allow us just to walk forever. Mm. But then certain times of the race, you're going to need to do some some hard work. You're going to be going downhill where you don't necessarily want to go at a slow pace. You might want to run, or you're on a flat and you want to pick up your pace, and you have to do some sprinting. So we have to, to metabolically train our muscles, and that helps with more mitochondria, right? Mm -hmm. These little bursts, this, this hit training, it increases your mitochondrial density, which gives your muscles the ability to produce more ATP and better utilize oxygen, fat, fuel, for that, whereas if we're only doing one specific exercise, like if we're just jogging for long periods of time, we're actually going to be breaking down systems in the body, whereas if we're alternating, sprinting, walking, jogging, going uphill, going downhill, we are metabolically, metabolically conditioning our muscles, our cells to adapt. And as we know, adaptation is everything. If our bodies are able to adapt, then we can pretty much get through anything. That's well, you know, I yeah, I'm, you know, I like to think of that a little, you know, like I try to give analogies to, to my patients, you know, especially when we talk about, you know, doing hit or burst stuff. But the way I see it, you know, at those mitochondria is I look at those like batteries, right? And so when we're doing this metabolic conditioning type stuff, you're kind of playing with voltage a little bit. You're seeing how much voltage can you hold at a higher amount for a while, and then the voltage decreases. So, like, I noticed that with my training, you know, when I was getting back in shape during that four-month period when I was doing my first race, at first I was just running one day, and then another day I would just do weights, right? And then I remember you saying, okay, now you got to mix it up. you got to kind of do both at the same time and turn it more into, a meta, like, a Metcon type uh, conditioning uh, workout. And you notice how fast your body gets taxed when you start mixing those because you're almost having to switch those gears, right? Your body's at that low gear, and then you got to go to high gear, and you got to hold at that intensity for that, that short amount of time. And you notice when you first start to do this, 
that's when you get that, that, uh, 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 I think of it. And it's literally, it's adaptation. Like you're saying, it's your body. Literally, I feel like it, you're breaking stuff loose at those mitochondria level, and you're starting to try to get that flexibility or that voltage, and mm -hmm. it has to be built. And it's a rough road, but everybody, that's that whole getting in shape thing that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. That's that push you're trying to push through that resistance, and you're trying to slowly, right? We're trying to slowly build this over time. And, you know, and, and the reason that you want to do that in preparation for a race is that, you know, it is running, right? The Spartan race is running, but you're running on varied terrain, uphill, downhill. But then you have these obstacles, right, that are intermixed in this three-mile, eight-mile, 13-mile run. And some of those obstacles, they take a lot of energy. They take this fast-twitch muscle that can that has to do a big burst, whether you're climbing a rope or climbing a wall or you're carrying a log, you know, it, so we have to be able to condition our body where it's already at, at a high level to now get that extra. And if we don't have that, like for instance, on my second race, the one that I said I was going to quit and never do another race again, I had to lift a, a log just over and over. It's kind of like a tire flip, but it's a log flip. And I remember the, the, energy that that took for me to, to lift that and my legs felt like jello mm. after after flipping this log i think it was like three times for whatever reason i picked the biggest log once you start you can't switch and then my next obstacle was a long climb up a ski a ski run essentially and my legs were not conditioned they could not adapt to that and uh it, it wasn't it wasn't good so we need that variability again so our body can adapt and go from that kind of not red line but to a little bit of red line and then back down mm -hmm. so going back to the beginner again uh, you, you mentioned some things to do for endurance and changing pace and that kind of thing what about from a lifting point of view because you just brought up a couple examples of where you're going to need some lifting strength and and if there's any women listening to there there's variation so men are lifting different heaviness or different weight than, than women are just, yeah. But uh, yeah, what would you do for, uh, for that lifting component? So, you know, now I like to, I vary what I'm doing throughout the week. I have a day where I'm lifting, where I'm lifting heavier and it'll be either a, a slow, slow count push-up where I'm trying to engage more muscle. So if you're doing like fast push-ups, you're not engaging the whole tricep, pec, shoulder, Whereas if you're doing a five count push-up, a 10 count push-up, you're getting, you're, you're activating a lot more of those muscle fibers, which is going to create muscle density, just mm -hmm. pure strength, not necessarily bulk because women don't really want to, most, most women, sorry, not all, most don't want to create bulk. And myself, I don't want a lot of bulk. I want to stay lean and right around this 180 to 190. I feel really good there, mm -hmm. but I do want muscle density. So one day a week, I'll do heavy lifting, where if I'm doing push-ups, I'm doing very slow count push-ups. I'm doing slow count squats. And I may add weight, I may not add weight. It just, that depends on where you are in your training. Mm -hmm. So for body weight, right, for, for body weight, you can just do a, start with a three count squat, right? 10 counts probably too much for the, the beginner. Sometimes 10 counts too much for me. Um, but start with a three count squat, three counts down, three counts up, or five counts down, five counts up. 
or if you're doing weights, you're going to do more weights to fatigue where you can only lift that weight four or five times. And then you have to take a, you know, a three minute break before you can do it again. So that's like my strength day. And then I want to do a conditioning day. So now I'm doing faster movements. I might be doing push-ups for speed or air squats for speed. Um, dumbbell thrusters or something for speed. And it's, it's a whole different than purpose for that. And, and some burpees. You got to throw some burpees in there too, I guess, right? Got to throw burpees in there, right? <laughs> Definitely. David, we have to post a, your video that you did for our group, our Spartan group um, of doing burpees, just so people can look at that form. Do you remember oh, the variations and yeah. stuff? Yeah, yeah. Those are good. Yeah. And I want to add to what Randy's saying. This is important for some of you beginners. Probably not a good idea to pick up any weight till you have good control of your body. Absolutely. So like Randy's talking, start with lunges, air squats, pull-ups, push-ups. You know, you've got to be able to efficiently move your body right across the board through you know multiple joints like these dynamic movements that we're talking and have good control and strength there before you really pick up any weight the weight comes after that control and that's also how you're going to prevent injuries and things like that as well as you're kind of on your journey here to, to mm -hmm. get your fitness level up but like randy's saying you know it doesn't necessarily need to be a lot of weight you know it's just it's it's learning how to effectively efficiently move this stuff and as a whole as a whole unit yeah. You know, and, and something important is that you brought up, right, that we have to have that um, integrity, our jo the joint integrity. So, so, Dr. Nick, you do a ton of yoga, right? You're doing a lot of extended holds that maybe aren't, aren't comfortable. Mm -hmm. uh, I've incorporated a lot of things with balance. So I might get a balance disc or a wobble board that I'm standing you need to start out with both feet on that wobble board or both feet on that balance disc uh, and then increase to, or then, then move up to doing only one foot because you're affecting all these little stabilizer muscles that when you're just on a road, you know, you're just going straight ahead. There's not a lot of variable in that. But when you're on a trail and you have to account for rocks, roots, sticks, just the, the ground underneath you changing, you really have to have that ankle, knee, hip, support spine support that can handle all those variations because it's so easy just to pop an ankle but if you've done this preparation um yoga pilates again balance balance work all that that you're going to have that and you can incorporate all that with your workout well and, and think oh sorry nick no go ahead but think in 360 degrees, everybody. And when you're wanting to be functional in your movement, you can't just be moving straight ahead all the time with everything that you do in the gym or even with your running like Randy's saying. So add some lateral movements into your, to your workout sessions. You know, some diagonal movements, some, some movements moving backwards. You know, I'm always moving my body in multiple directions while I'm training, like Randy's saying, and even when I'm trail running or running, to constantly make sure that everything is fine-tuned in whichever direction I need to move. And especially for this, right, because all that trail running and all these obstacles that we do, like you're saying, if you're only used to running like in a very unidimensional type manner, you're going to set yourself up for injuries and some bad stuff because you didn't prepare your body right. So that's an important point right there. Yeah. And just on this note, because we're talking about variability, Let's talk about some of the variation and the different things you're actually doing on that day. Like what are some of the obstacles? What do they look like? 
and um, and and sort of, sort of they get a, an image in their mind of like you know why these dynamic uh, movements and and changes in intensity are so important. So so I'll say grip is everything in a Spartan race because so much of it is upper body. So some of the obstacles you have monkey bars, right? The old monkey bars at school. Um, you got to be able to go across monkey bars, so that's grip strength. You have to be able to do rope climbs. That's grip. Uh, they have a lot of just stuff where you're lifting your body up or doing heavy carries, and grip is essential. So some of those, right, we just mentioned some of those. We have monkey bars. They have one called the, uh, uh, the twister, where it's this bar. It's really hard. We'll have to post a picture of it. It's too hard to explain. But you have to have sustained grip strength for you know three lengths of this of this obstacle which can take you know a minute to two minutes to three minutes of just consistent grip strength so grip is everything um and it could be yeah. raining right go ahead and it could be raining and it could be raining it could be wet right so you got to prepare for that yeah. uh, sometimes even even putting your shoes in water and then going for a run you know what does it feel like to run with wet shoes it sucks but but you're going to experience that on every Spartan race you do, except if you're in a stadium. But every other race, they're going to get your shoes wet the very beginning of the race. Um, it's just what they do. So, so a lot of overhead stuff, a lot of stuff where you have to pull your body up or, or hold on to something. They have the carries, right? They usually have three, two to three carries in any Spartan race. So that can be a sandbag carry a log carry, a bucket carry. I say the bucket one sucks the most. Would you guys agree? Oh yeah. But unless you have two sandbags, two sandbags is pretty bad, but a bucket, the bucket's pretty bad. Um, so you gotta be able to carry heavy stuff for an extended period of time, which again is grip, but it's also just being able to carry a load on your body mm -hmm. or, um, and a quick hack for that, for all you dads out there, because Nick was a monster on that particular <laughs> obstacle. He, he has two little ones, so he, he just like walked right past me, and I was ahead of him during the race on that one. <laughs> I, have, I, I, I have one five-year-old. He's got, how old are your kids, Nick? Four and seven. Yeah, so he's like, well, I'm just used to carrying them both all the time. So like, he knocks that one out of the park. So if you have kids... Just start carrying them more. I'm begging. That's right. That's kind of greasing the groove for all you guys listening. Like, figure out and go run errands. Just say, hey, jump on the dad and just start carrying them. And that actually helps start building your core. It's funny. Before Spartan racing, I actually got annoyed having to carry them here and there. And now I just think, I'm just doing a carry right now. I'm just prepping for the next carry. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. So there's ways to grease the groove, right, Randy? I mean, if they don't have time to like necessarily work out, there's ways to grease the groove with some of these things we're talking about. You know, like today, so I went on a walk today. I try to walk every day. And uh, one of the things that, that I try to incorporate, because I'm sitting more, right? I was when my, in my chiropractic office, I was always moving. And now I'm sitting more, but I make sure that I get up and I will do, I'll do lunges in the office. I'll do squats. In the office today, I went out on a walk, and I, I've even varied that up. I was on a trail walking, and I decided that I'm going to do sets of thirty lunges. So I do thirty lunges, and I walk a little bit more. I do thirty more lunges. Um, I did some things for my hamstrings on the walk, and so incorporate a lot of this. You can incorporate into your daily life. You don't even have to 
Mm-hmm. I don't have an hour of time set aside that I can do this. You don't necessarily need that. I mean, you kind of do, but your normal day life, you can you can do stuff. You can stand at your desk and you can do squats. Yeah, well, I, I made a rule for myself whenever my kids are taking a bath or sitting on the toilet uh, about to do their business, I pull out the chin-out bar and I start hey. chin-ups while they're pooping or they're in the bathtub, right? Yeah. Get something done. Yeah, yeah. incorporate it into your daily life, right? Yeah. And, and ben, you know, Ben, I just I listened to a thing with Ben Greenfield recently and, and he was talking about consistent movement throughout the day. That one of the one of the dangers that happens is we we don't have a butt anymore. You look at people, and sorry, if you if you look at people, there's no butt. You know, we need we need our buttocks. When we don't have it. Our hip flexors are shrinking. Our butt is shrinking. So you got to engage mm-hmm. glutes, right? Have to, especially for these races, because a lot of those races are going uphill. And you need those glutes, so engage your butt. Awesome. Yeah. And before we trim, go ahead, Nick. I'm sorry. One more thing that I found to be really helpful at the gym is that is just the stair climber. So, like talking about engaging the glutes, right? Like that's an that's an easy one. You can vary the speed. You can vary the time. You can, you know, you go harder or, or slower or whatever you want. And uh, it's a great in of itself, just full workout if you just spend some time varying, you know, speeds on there. So, yeah. Go ahead, David. Well, and added that variation, I wanted to talk about this as well. Some of you may have some issues where, and we're going to get into nutrition and some other things that will help you with this particular thing. But if you have like painful knees or hips or things like that, and you're kind of afraid and you're saying, oh, I can't go running and I can't do all these things, it's going to kill my, my joints, right? One of the best places you could probably start on is a bike. You know, and you'll hear some of the, even the elite Spartan racers, they'll say, like, I don't do all my conditioning, pounding the pavement and running. They'll ride, they'll ride their bike and get some of their conditioning and save their joints. Absolutely. So if you can, start on a bike. Start on a bike to start getting some of that conditioning. And you can do everything that Randy said as far as the intervals and the bursts and all that stuff on a bike. It doesn't have to be necessarily running or trail running or whatever. Absolutely. Well, let's, let's move into some nutritional hacks for preparing for a race. Um, I mean, we could spend a lot, of t- a lot of time on the physical stuff, and it's important, but, I mean, let's be real here. Nutrition is, is just as important, if not more important. So maybe we could talk about being a fat-adapted athlete, which you are, Dr. Randy, um, why that's so darn important, and then what you do to prep for, for the race and, and, what, and, and why it means so much to be doing this, you know, months before the race actually happens. Yeah, for sure. So I think we should go back, and what is – what does it mean to be fat adapted, right? We can burn primarily two fuel sources. We can use glucose for fuel, or we can use fat for fuel. And predominantly in our culture, we are glucose burners, so we are consuming food, and then we are using that glucose to make ATP, which is our energy. But fat is such a highly untapped source. And this is different than just burning fat, right? You go out and you just trash yourself. Yeah, you're going you're gonna to burn some fat. But to be a fat burner means that you have metabolically, metabolically conditioned yourself to be using fat for fuel on a consistent basis. And, and this is key because when you have these long-distance um, events, I found that early on that – a lot of the gels and the goos and the bars did not sit well with me. 
they really made me feel just sick on the race and I didn't like that feeling. And then I started learning about this fat adaptation that you can start to use fat for fuel. Then you don't need the bars, the goos, the pre-workout stuff, the post-workout stuff. And you guys, I mean, you've experienced that and it's a whole new world. So, so you're, you're actively burning fat and how do you start that? I think the easiest way to start utilizing fat is intermittent fasting, right? One of the things that we teach all of our clients and what intermittent fasting is, is instead of, you know, going from, from dinner and then you're eating breakfast and you're eating at 10 o'clock and then 12 o'clock and then three o'clock is you're condensing your feeding window right down to for those that are new you may extend your breakfast out from eight o'clock until that snack at 10 o'clock so you're not having breakfast at eight now you're going to have your snack at 10 or 11 or people that are already doing this you're going to skip breakfast and that snack altogether, and you're going to go till lunchtime before you eat and what that's doing is you're running out overnight you almost run out of that excess glucose to burn so your body then has to find an alternate fuel source and that's our stored fat that's our human fat that is on the legs the hips the stomach and there's so much energy available in fat molecules and it's so much easier for the body to get more energy out of that than glucose so intermittent fasting is like it's i think the best tool that i use to stay fat adapted. Hmm. Love it. And I mean, there's, there's so much to get into here from, you know, do you do keto, paleo, whatever. But the, one of the big things that we all teach is this diet variation using when you eat, what you eat, changing it up, you know, protein loading days, protein sparing days. I'm, I, I mean, we could literally do a whole podcast on, on how to do that, which I think we, we need to, uh, but for, this, for the sake of just, you know, maybe we could just get into, yes, getting some intermittent fasting done. What, and then what does that mean when you're working out? Can you work out in a fasted state? Well, let's bust this myth. I can't work out unless I've had a pre and a post-workout shake. That is myth, right? Myth, myth, myth. You can work out absolutely without eating and you will not die. And it will not ruin your body. I love working out fasted. Uh, I, I just I do so much better, right? And why is that? So we know that in the, in the mornings, your testosterone and growth hormone are at their highest, right? They kind of peak off at between 8 and 10 o'clock around there. So in the mornings, I don't work out in the morning. I don't have time. I work out in the evenings. But the mornings are a great time to work out because you're already at that high testosterone, high growth hormone. And then as you're working out, your body is releasing a lot of free fatty acids that are found in the liver, that are in the muscles. And so that's all now floating around in the body, right? Your body's using that for fuel. It's using that for energy to power the muscles. And you have this great workout. And then the thought is, oh, man, I got to get my protein in me right after I did my workout to refuel. No, you don't. It's already there. Like your liver stores so much of this that if you go and eat right after you work out, then you already have this pool of fatty acids and glucose that you've released that's in your bloodstream. 
And now with this, this post-workout stuff, you've added a whole ton more of glucose and, and protein. And so the body says, what am I going to do with this? I don't need it all. So I'm going to store it. And it doesn't store as muscle. It stores as fat. And that's a problem because we don't want to store fat. We want to be able to use fat. And so I find that when I work out, I don't want to eat for at least an hour after working out, preferably two hours. Now, because I work out at night, I can't always do that. Sometimes I eat within, you know, after about an hour. But we need that time to allow the free fatty acids, the glucose that's been released from that workout. That needs to lower. Our body needs to use that. And then after that time period of two hours, then we can add stuff back in if we choose to. We can also go towards still intermittent fasting or doing keto, where David, you talked about this last year, and I loved it, which was doing alternate day fasting, right? Where we would just have dinner to dinner fast one day, and the next day we do intermittent fasting. And I loved that and found that I gained more, um, more muscle density in doing that. But the myth, you do not need your pre and post-workout food substance, food-like substance. Your body will do better without that. Now, for the, for the athlete, for the professional athlete, really quick, if you're, going, if you're going to do two workouts in a day, then you probably do need to eat after you've worked out because you're going to work out again. But most of us are not doing two, you know, two-hour workouts a day. We're lucky if we get in an hour. And really, if you're not working out more than an hour, you've got enough in reserve that you don't need to add more to it. Awesome. And let's, let's, we only have about 15 minutes left here. So why don't we dive, because that's, that's perfect. That's everything people need to know. It's, it's safe. It's only going to add more muscle density to you. It's going to increase your performance. You're going to be a fat-adapted athlete with enough time under, under, this, uh, under this pressure of fasting and, and faster workouts. Now, what about supplementation and, and optimizing performance for either the new person or, or I mean, someone who's been in this a little bit longer? What, what, do you, what do you recommend there? Can I share something really quick with the last thing? Just mm -hmm. a really quick experience. I'll be quick. So I went from having to eat during the race, and I didn't like it. Right? It didn't make me feel good because you're trying to digest and your heart rate's like 160. That doesn't work so well. When I got fat adapted, I found that I could do a, a Spartan Beach, which was 13 miles, with very minimal food during the race. Like we're talking hardly anything. Maybe a just something for taste, like an almond butter packet for just really taste during that time. But I wasn't hungry at all during the race. I didn't need to eat. And that's huge because then you can focus on your race, not – well, what am I going to eat? What do I got to pack with me? What do I got to bring? Which is extra weight that you then have to carry and take with you after. So that was just, that was super helpful for me. In well, terms before, of. Oh, go ahead, Randy. And before we move on, everybody, we actually had a little bit of an episode. Our second episode was about fasting. So if you want to learn a little bit more about this, go back and listen to episode number two about activating this power within our system, like Randy's talking about, of just literally eating less often. That's all we're doing. Mm -hmm. yeah. So nutrition, you know, and this is, again, a whole other topic, a huge topic, but 
the things that I found that were most um, that were most beneficial to me during training were whole amino acids. I found that they were really easy for my body to assimilate and and then getting them the building blocks to repair the muscle, to build the muscle. Um, you've got to have a good water supply, right? Don't, don't, don't skimp on, on your water. The other things that I found were um, a product that we call ASEA that, that I've loved. Um, it's a redox molecule supplement that just helps communication in your cells. I found that initially, early on, I was able to do more and go farther because there was better cell communication. Um, I find that at times I will increase my, my protein intake because I need that protein to help rebuild, kind of like the amino acids. And then I always want to be supporting my adrenals right? because of the workouts. And sometimes the intensity of just the race you can do too much, and it's easy to think every workout has to be this, I'm just sweating to death and I'm burning myself out. So for me, um, supplementing for things with the adrenals was, was super helpful. Um, you guys will probably go into to detoxing stuff on a different podcast, but as I've gotten more metals and worked on hidden infections within me and my cells are, are better able to function, um, that's been huge, just more cellular energy. But the, I'll go back, the staples have been amino acids. They've been um, ASEA. Some of the stuff now that I do is this molecular oxygen, which like has helped me run at altitude, which is huge. Um, the things for my adrenals. And, uh, and I do like to take different fats and mix up the, the fats that I'm taking, monounsaturated, saturated, polyunsaturated. Because we need those fatty acids, but pulsing them. Not just taking one specific one throughout the whole time, but up and down and, uh, and, and pulsing those at different times. You, you mentioned water too. Um, can you get away with using ASEA as an electrolyte? Um, or do you, do you add electrolytes and what kind of water are you using? No, so you cannot. Uh, I think it depends on where a person is. Right, where, where are you in your metabolic conditioning? ASEA does not replace water, right? So if you're drinking that, don't think that you, I, I drank that, I don't need water. No, you need water, you probably need more water because, you know, it's not substituting. So we have to have a good source of, of water to hydrate our bodies. We also, on the longer races, I do suggest um, electrolytes, because especially on a hot day, you know, I, I told I think I mentioned this in the last race, my second race, 95 degrees, Virginia, humidity, and I almost passed out, right? I had, there was nothing left. My sodium, my potassium, all those things were probably depleted. Um, so for the longer races, I think we definitely need those. And we can supplement the, with those, you know, going throughout training. Um, I think they become more important with the longer races. Mm -hmm. David, you had some you had some cool things that you added in that mix because we we basically for those of you listening we basically took all of Dr. Randy's recommendations when we were training, but I know you threw in some cool things as well. 
So the only other thing I would add to that, and Randy does this too, I believe, is nitric oxide supplementation to help, with, that to help with circulation and perfusion of tissue. One of the big things when we're training and we're competing is, and this is really to increase, improve performance and to prevent injuries, is you've got to be circulating and perfusing tissue very well. And what a nitric oxide, oxide supplementation does for us is it basically gives us that vasodilation to help us perfuse you know, all of our muscles, our joints, our ligaments, all these things while we're during these activities to really nurture those areas to make sure that they're getting proper blood supply so that we can do what we need to do. A lot of times these injuries that we get, whether it's a joint injury and things like that, can actually come because you're not perfusing tissue very well. So, uh, you know, I think Randy used beta leads, right? Uh, I used some, some different, uh, I think Organifi actually has their red uh, their red uh, superfoods also has some some nitric oxide uh, properties to it, and then you know I use some other brands, but that's a big one for me, and I also use that for recovery too. So I'll double up on the same day sometimes if I do a big training session. I'll hit it as a pre workout, and then I'll do it before bed, actually to help me a little bit. That's awesome. So there, I mean, there's some amazing nuggets here from supplementation and and. Um, so let's let's move into the recovery. You mentioned recovery. I mean, that's sort of the last thing that we really wanted to, to leave people with is what do you do to just get back to normal or get back to you know conditioning shape again um, after all this all this all these races and and for all the success of training you're doing. You know, I've I've learned that I have to stretch more. So stretching for guys is is like I think it's like shopping. Right? Do I have to go shopping? Do I have to stretch? <laughs> it's, it's not really fun, right? And it, it seems almost like a waste of time. Like I'm not building. I'm not. I'm not. You know, getting this this burn. But but our joints and stretching is huge. And if our joints tighten up and lock up, then we're going to have injuries. We're going to have tears and pulls and strains and sprains. So we, I've really got to do a lot of stretching. I do a lot of foam rolling. Um, I love my foam roller. Oh my gosh. I have three of them. I have one with knobs on it. I have one that's longer so I can, you know, do stuff with my back. And then I have one that's shorter that I can just really work on my hamstrings and, and uh, you don't need three, but I'm just that person. So, um, so stretching foam rolling is key. Then we also need to look at, well, what have we broken down during a race? We've been taxing our ligaments. We've been taxing our muscles. We've been taxing, just our heart and our lungs with sometimes redlining, right? Getting past that, that threshold where our body can handle it for a long period of time. And so I find that after a race, I have to use things to support my ligaments, um, the collagen for both uh, joints, collagen for muscle building. I find that is so helpful and beneficial. Um, I also then, David, you talked about it, the, the nitric oxide that that is really key for the oxygen perfusion. We have to get oxygen to these tissues. Um, chiropractic to be, I love being adjusted, especially after the race and on the race day, I'll bring some of my tools with me to, to, to do some stuff on myself. Um, and then not getting too, not, not, not thinking that I have to get right back into it after a race. Give yourself a couple days to rest and reflect and, and, and think of, listen to your body, right? What is, 
What do I feel I've, I've taxed a lot? What is it that is it's hurting? What is sore? And be okay with allowing rest to take place because it's not all about the next hit workout and the next CrossFit workout and the next run. It's about allowing our bodies and our minds to repair. Because even on that race, so much of that is mental, right? There's long carries thinking, gee, how long is this going to take? Or, or a long climb. You know, when you're going up in Vermont, it's, it's a mile uphill. And they veer you off like three times. They give you these three false summits. And every time you're like, dude, really? I'm not at the top. Mentally, you've got to repair as well. So, I mean, so good brain food. And I'm not talking about the cookies, cakes, and pastas. <laughs> other things that are really going to help nourish our brain and the good fats again. So, those are some I'm, And I'm glad you talked about rest, Randy. I think a lot of athletes and even non-athletes, when they start training, they think that the more they train, the better. Yeah. More and best. everybody, when, if you're listening to this, one of the biggest lessons I learned, and it literally took me, I think, until I was possibly in my 30s before I learned this lesson, is the growth actually comes from the rest periods when you're doing things like this. It's not from the stress, right? You hear that saying, that saying stress plus rest equals growth. The growth comes from the rest, and where people actually make the biggest mistakes is they're not resting enough or they're not resting at the right time. So like Randy's saying is, you know, even during your training to get ready for your race, if your body just does not feel put together a day or two after you did a training session, you don't have to go and train again. Focus on recovery, eat right, do mobility, do stretching, do mashing like Randy's saying. You know, start taking some supplementation, let your body rebuild itself, and then go hit it again. You know, one of the rules that I made for myself, and this was really big just because of my schedule, I have work, I have my family, you know, so, so do you guys is I promised myself I would not train more than three times a week to get ready for these races. And I never did. I always had a, a literally a training regimen of two to three times a week. And then the closer I got to the race, it was only three times. And that's the max I ever trained for these things. Because that's really all that, it, number one, it would allow for my schedule. But then I thought, you know, if I work smarter and not harder, I can get the most out of my training time. And I did. You know, I got in really good shape just by doing it two to three times a week and doing the right things. You know, I, so last April, I was preparing for a 30-mile Spartan race. It was the, the, an ultra, is what they call it. And my workouts, I was doing, you know, a, a two-mile run. I'd come back, and I would do a high-intensity workout. I'd go back out and do another two-mile run. And, and I was hitting it way too hard and pushing it way past my, my, my level of, of, not comfort, because there's never a comfort level, but just pushing it too much. And uh, about three weeks, three weeks before the race, I just had this pain in my back. And my wife was kind of like, thank goodness, now he's not going to do this race. I thought, you know, I'll get over it. Just give me a day. I'll be fine. It was a month and a half. This, this injury laid me up a month and a half, and it was because of overtraining. I was taxing myself, not listening to my body, but thinking I've got to put all these miles in and do all this in preparation for that when I didn't need to do that. And it was a hard lesson because you take someone that is always wanting to be doing and now you can't do and 
it's not a fun time, right? But then you get to reflect and recognize, okay, what really is the most important and what am I trying to accomplish? You know, do I want to kill myself doing this or is it because, you know, I have a goal, but it has to be within my bounds, not based on what somebody else thinks I should be doing. Well, and I think for many of our listeners, that's that's it right there, brother. I mean, nobody's training full time. This is something that is going to be an extra in their lifestyle, but that I think that is essential that we all need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I love it. I mean, we could we could keep going because there's there's so much to share here, but uh, I think we really painted a really clear picture of, of what to expect, and I, and I love that we finished on rest and repair because that's what this is all about. You know, you guys are talking like a couple of yogis here. Because Shavasana, the end is the sweet spot, but that's integration time. And that's, you know, you do something hard, it's really intense. And then, and then you get into that deep relaxation where your nervous system can reset and your body gets into repair mode. And um, it's beautiful. It's a, it's a beautiful process. And it happens in so many different areas of our lives. But when we're doing it intentionally, man, it's like, you know, we can put so many different pieces together. So, uh, yeah, there you go. So this, is, this has been an amazing highlighting illuminating um uh window into the world of spartan racing and, and where to go from a beginner to a more advanced um and obviously we need to connect with you more dr randy because there's so much here it's like we we kind of scratched the surface and then tickled some people and to to uh wanting to to taste this for themselves because uh you know as you said at the beginning it gets under your skin it's something that awakens uh, a fiery warrior inside and and you just want more so I think you gave some amazing nuggets for people to start to implement. Well, great. You know, just again, thanks for having me on and, and so fun. And just remember that for everyone, you are more powerful than you think, right? There's more within you that you have. And it's just, it's, it's believing that and then taking the incremental steps daily. It's not you're climbing a mountain in one day. You're just taking incremental steps and you can be grateful for the improvement that you've had over that in the race. Remember, I think I said this to you guys, the race is the culmination of all your effort, right? The race is the celebration. All the stuff before that has been all the work. And now you get to celebrate and have fun on the course. And, and that's how, if we look at it, it stays fun. It doesn't become uh, a labor. It's a joyous process with gratitude and, uh, and, and Thanksgiving, honestly. Enjoy the ride. Yeah, David, do you want to leave him with a little homework, homework or home play nugget uh, to, to experience? So, yeah, I think a good home play is the intermittent fasting, brother. I think, you know, we talked a little bit last on this last, the part one of this series was just to start somewhere with the training, whether it was walking or jogging or just getting moving, right? But I think the home play for this episode will be the intermittent fasting. I think as far as some of the recommendations we gave, that's probably the easiest place to start. And you're going to get big changes just from doing that. So, Randy, can you leave them with the intermittent fasting and kind of just how to get that started? Yeah. So, you know, I I like to finish my meal before 8 o'clock. And then I'm not going to eat again until about 12 or 1 o'clock. And the whole thing is our, our mantra, right, is we're not eating less. We're eating less often. So pick a smaller window, and I like to have that window between six and seven hours of where I am eating, and the rest of the time, I'm not eating. So pick a six or seven hour window, do all your eating during that time, and then you're fasting the rest of the time. That's been the best thing for me. 
Um, and everybody, you're going to see massive changes just from that. Just be consistent with it, like Dr. Randy's saying. Close that window and just watch what happens. It's beautiful. You awesome. get major ripped abs. Yes. <laughs> get rid of the dad pod. That's right. It's part of the process here uh, on the Dr. Dad's episode. So thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Thanks, Dr. Randy. David, always a pleasure, man. And uh, we'll see you guys on the next one. Be well. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please be sure to subscribe to the Dr. Dads and share with your family and friends. You can also follow and interact with Dr. Nick and Dr. David on Facebook and Instagram for a daily dose of inspiration and the latest in health and wellness. Be well.